We're going to be back in the book of Galatians this morning. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We'll pick it up in a few minutes at verse 15. But before we get started with that, um, I need to make a confession. Pastoral confession, okay? You ready for this? Everybody pay attention? I'll tell you why I'm doing this in a minute. So here's the confession. I have a tattoo. It's right there. It's a Celtic cross. It's about four by three. Now, there's two reasons I'm telling you that on Sunday, July the 3rd. The most important one is that in two weeks from tomorrow... I'm leaving about 5.30 in the morning with our youth group. I'm chaperoning Passion Youth Camp this year. I've never done that. We're going to the beach. The shirt's coming off at some point because we're going to play on the beach at some point. So here's the deal. Either I tell you now, (laughs) our parents, all your kids are texting, Preacher Chad's got a tattoo. Matt Penland's texting his wife, Dude, this this guy's got a tattoo on his back because we're going to be rooming together. And then grandparents, you know, your kids that have their kids at camp, they're going to be texting you saying, preacher's got a tattoo, did you know? (laughs) So now you know. The other reason is because obviously it got your attention, and it's a great time at this point to make a point to you about legalism. Amen? Now, how many of you cringed when I said, I have a tattoo? Okay, I know you're not going to raise your hand. That's okay. I'm not even going to give you the yes, no, and all that stuff today. That's good. You know who you are. And may the Holy Spirit deal ever so gently and graciously with you as he rebukes you for your legalism. But somebody would say, you know, the Bible talks about tattoos, and the Bible's against tattoos. Leviticus 19, verse 28. Right? There's a verse about it. It was part of the Old Testament law. And it says, don't get markings on your body. Well... Somebody would say, so, you know, that's obviously the will of God. I mean, why would you do that? Well, let me, let me, let me, let me make it worse. <laughs> I didn't do it when I was a pagan, because that means that I had to do it at five, because I got saved at six. I did it at 35 as a pastor. You say, why would you do it? Well, you know, there's a meaning for tattoos, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Not all the time. There was in this case. <sighs> I'd gone through some really crazy stuff in a church. It hurt. It was bad. Church people act like corrupt politicians. Not a good time. How many have been there? My wife's been through cancer, first, first round of cancer at that point. And I'll just be honest with you, my, my faith was kind of shaken to the core. And, and, and I really struggled with, with continuing to believe for a while. And it just came to this place where I didn't know much. But I knew the truth of the gospel that we're going to talk about this morning. I believed that God loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me. And that he paid it all. And I didn't know anything else. And I couldn't figure anything else about churches at that point. I thought they were all pretty screwed up. And I didn't really want to be part of church at that point. And I was by myself. Didn't even tell Robin at that time. On the way home from vacation in Florida. And I stopped at Psycho Sisters Tattoo in Marietta. And I said, I'm saying it's happening today. And what I honestly said in my heart, I was not drunk. (laughs) What I honestly said in my heart before God was, you got to hang on to me. 
because I'm not done hanging on to you. But I believe what Jesus did. I got that Celtic cross because I'm Irish, number one. Number two, I wanted something that I could see. It, I, it was a point for me. God, I want to be able to look in the mirror and see something. Something about me that doesn't feel anything. Is real anymore about you. And I marked myself for Jesus. Okay, that's probably dumb. It had a meeting at the time, blah, blah, blah. Here's the point. By the way, all teenagers and preteens pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. My kids are free to get a tattoo. Here's what I told them, though. You can't get one until after you leave my house. Therefore, I'm not responsible. Secondly, you better be sure that what you get, you really want to keep. Because they don't go away. So there's your lesson on tattoos from the scriptures this morning. (laughs) And now we move on. Here's the deal, though. Here's here's the point. How does that relate to the message? Here it is. We read these verses a couple weeks ago. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to read these again in a second. It says, actually, verse 16. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed God the law. Now, getting a tattoo, for the reasons I've told you, doesn't make me any more close to Jesus. It did nothing to make me closer to Christ or to God. But having a tattoo makes me no further from Jesus either. You follow? It's not about those kinds of things. We're in the middle of a study of the book of Galatians called Radical Grace, the only real kind. And what we've said is this, if your version of grace Your understanding of grace is not radical. If it doesn't shake you up and when you talk about it, it doesn't kind of mess with people around you, then you probably don't have the biblical gospel. Last week we began to look at an encounter between Paul and Peter in Galatians chapter 2. And this encounter between Paul and Peter happened in the city of Antioch. That's where Paul and Barnabas were hanging out, starting a church, preaching the gospel. And Peter came down to visit. He knew what was going on down there. He got down there. The text talks about he he got down and he made himself at home. Remember, Peter had been used by God. Though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, God had made it clear to Peter, I love the Gentiles too because he sent Peter to Cornelius' house. Peter was one of the very first to preach the gospel to Gentiles. He understood God accepted Gentiles, not just Jews. You didn't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You could love Jesus just from where you were. You could start right there. And so he went down to Antioch. He was hanging out with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And in Antioch, he's having a great time. I mean, it was the coolest thing for Peter. He could get bacon readily for breakfast every morning with his eggs. He could have a ham sandwich at lunch and, 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 a, and whatever for supper he wanted. I mean, he, he, was, he was loving the pork. He was hanging out with all these uncircumcised people. And, and they just did things different. It was cool just to hang out with them. And he was having fun just loving the body of Christ. Universal. The Gen, Jew-Gentile combination. He's having a great time. But then some of his homeboys came down from Jerusalem to visit. And next thing you know, Peter's not sitting at the table with the Gentiles anymore. Though he's still got ham on his breath, he's kind of moved over here. And all of a sudden, he doesn't sit with them. He's not eating what they eat. He's just hanging out with the guys from Jerusalem because they're nice kosher Jews and they're doing everything according to the law. And Paul says, when I saw that he was not acting... Oh, and by the way, Barnabas went with him, the pastor of the church in Antioch. When I saw that he was not acting in line with the gospel, I withstood him to his 
face. And so this encounter quickly escalates to a full-blown confrontation. And the message last week was entitled, Confronting Gospel Hypocrisy. Legalism, that's what we're calling gospel hypocrisy. Legalism, where we start by saying Jesus saves, but somewhere down the line we add, Jesus saves, but you must. Or you must not. And in that moment we become gospel hypocrites. We saw last week that Paul had to confront Peter's gospel hypocrisy, his legalism. The text there in chapter uh, 2, verses 11 to 14, calls it hypocrisy. Peter played the hypocrite. He put a mask on for other people, out of fear for other people. And Paul had to confront that, his legalism, his gospel hypocrisy, quickly, boldly, and publicly. This morning, we're still in the same conversation. As we read through verses 15 to 21, we're still in the same conversation between these two apostles, and old Paul's not done with Peter yet. I want to talk to you this morning, though, in verses 15 to 21, about curing gospel hypocrisy. Last week, we looked at confronting gospel hypocrisy, and we began to look at the cure, but this morning, curing gospel hypocrisy. Here's the truth I want you to take home. The cure for gospel hypocrisy is continuously and practically trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Galatians 2, verse 15. You and I, Paul says as he speaks to Peter, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know, even we as Jews know, that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Why? Is is that because the law is bad? No. It's because we're sinful. We can't keep it. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ... And then, later down the line, we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, what did it do? It condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. These are strong words from Paul. The cure for gospel hypocrisy is continuously and practically trusting in Christ alone. I want you to see two elements involved in curing gospel hypocrisy from these verses. The first is in verses 15 and 16. We begin, we begun to look at it last week. First of all, the antidote to gospel hypocrisy. The antidote is the gospel. We've been talking uh, in our time together about the poison of legalism. What we looked at one time is, is the reality that this looks like a, a, a nice bottle of pure water, doesn't it? 
but we used yellow food coloring to represent arsenic, and we put one drop in there. Now, it only takes one drop in a container this size to be the lethal dose of arsenic. And if you drink from this bottle, if it really had arsenic, it would kill you. It's poison. We can't say about that mixture, you know, it's mostly water. Like it's way mostly water. It's still poison. Anytime you mix any ounce of works with the grace of God, you don't have the gospel. You don't have grace anymore. You have the poison of legalism. You have gospel hypocrisy. The antidote to this poison if you've been drinking it, is clear, pure grace. How do you fix a legalistic heart? You drink deep from the clear, pure waters of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You just go back to the gospel that you got mixed up on. And so the antidote is the gospel. Verse 15, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentile, Peter. Yet we know that a person's made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be, might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one, we already know this, Peter, no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Legalism is adding any of our own works to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's gospel hypocrisy. It's poison, and it will kill you. The gospel is the antidote, pure, unmixed grace. As the Reformers put it, sola fide and sola Christo, faith alone, Christ alone. That is, faith in Christ alone is the gospel. You see, it's all about who you're trusting in relation to holy God. Either yourself and your ability to do things God wants you to do, or Christ and in His ability to do everything for you, and including dying for your sin and rising again on the third day. No faith in our ability to keep the law. That is the gospel. All of our trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That is the gospel. The old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's it. So in Romans 3, verse 19 and following, we read these words. Obviously, Paul writing, the law applies to those to whom it was given. Who, who's the law given to? Jews, right? So Paul's talking to his own kinsmen. He said, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. It was a given that those who didn't have the law, they were even further away from God. They didn't even have God's teaching. Gentiles, it was understood, that would be us too, by the way. We're already sinners condemned by God. But the law was given to show the, the Jews, God's people, that they too were sinners along with the rest of the world. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. 
For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Sola fide, sola Christo. Faith alone in the work of Christ alone. The gospel is the antidote to gospel hypocrisy. But we can know the cure. We can know the cure for gospel hypocrisy, and yet still be poisoned by legalism. Peter was, right? Peter had watched Jesus die for the sins of the world. Peter had heard Jesus be called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, or Peter had lived through, through that Friday that could only be called good on this side of it. He had watched him hang on the cross and die. He lived through a silent Saturday where heaven was quiet and Jesus was just there in the grave. They had no hope. He lived through the resurrection where the saving work of Jesus had been validated in the fact that Jesus came back to life as the champion over death. And yet in Antioch, when a few guys from Jerusalem came down, he played the hypocrite. He put a mask on. He did not act in line with the truth of the gospel. And he started acting like a Jew and acting as if before his Gentile brethren, you have to be like us to really know God. The point is, if, you, if Peter can fall to legalism, I can. If Peter could fall to legalism, you can. And I better be very aware of my own heart. The cure for gospel hypocrisy is continuously and practically trusting in Christ alone. And that's what we want to talk about now, the application of the gospel. The antidote is the gospel. In verses 17 to 21, we find the application of the gospel. Now, this, these first two verses, especially verse 17 and 18, tough, tough verses. So just stick with me. Really, really hone in. Think hard with me for just a few minutes in this section. I want to break this section, 17 to 21, down into three sections. And before we talk about how to apply the gospel practically, let's look at, first of all, in verses 17 and 18, what happens if you don't apply the gospel practically? Paul describes that. And in verses 17 and 18, he's describing what Peter did. He's, he, he's unpacking the theology behind Peter's actions of withdrawing from the Gentiles, stopping his eating of ham, going back to, 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 to living and eating clean and doing different things and, and, and only sitting at a table with Jews. He's explaining what he was saying in those actions, and that's important for you to catch. Your actions say something about the gospel without you ever opening your mouth. Do you know that? You can be a legalist and never speak. Peter never uttered words of legalism. He just acted legalistically. And played the hypocrite. Verse 17. Paul says, But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. That's where Peter was. He started his journey. When, when, when he first got started, he, he sought to be made right with God through faith in Christ. But now in Antioch, he's in a place where he's found guilty because he's abandoned the law. When the guys from Jerusalem come down, he changes everything. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin, Peter? Absolutely not. Can Christ lead us into sin? Absolutely not. 
Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. I'm using the New Living Translation here because it translates it and, and in, in such a way that, that it helps us understand it. By the way, all translation from one language to another involves some interpretation. The New Living, I think, captures the essence of the original language here best. Paul is looking at what Peter has done and unpacking its practical implications and results, and it's horrifying. Paul's saying, Peter, by the way you live, have been living in Antioch when, when the Jews came down, the way you've been acting in front of these Gentiles, you are calling Christ a minister of sin. You are saying that Jesus led you to sin. Now, how do you get that out of these two verses? Well, I'm going to let John MacArthur help us with this. Did Christ then lead us into the sin of eating with Gentiles? You see, if the Judaizers, those false teachers in in Antioch, if the Judaizers are right, Jesus did that, and he's the minister of sin. That's a powerful argument, isn't it? Jesus, who taught us, Peter, to live live, uh, this way, promoted sin. And the Judaizers have not only straightened us out, hey, they've straightened out Jesus too, if they're right. And now Jesus, we've found out, is not really the Son of God, always right, perfect in everything he says and does, but he's a minister of sin. What a blasphemous statement. But Peter, by your action, you're condemning Jesus Christ himself. You see, Jesus taught that it's not what enters a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. He taught that all things are clean. He taught that you could be saved by simply coming to him in childlike faith. He taught all of that. And when you obeyed him, Peter, and you ate with Gentiles and accepted Gentiles and accepted a free grace salvation, and then you accepted faith as the only way, everything was right. You were obeying Christ. But now, if you say the Judaizers are right and you can no longer eat with Gentiles and you've got to make sure you're always acting like a Jew according to the law, then Christ was wrong. And if they say eating with Gentiles is sin, then Christ made you sin. Therefore, he's a minister of sin. I mean, by the time you get through those two verses, you're a little little scratching your head, but you're also saying, I'm not sure I get it all, but yikes! I mean, this is scary stuff that Peter's behavior was declaring to the entirety of the church. I, I mean, Peter, Paul says, Peter, is that really what you want to be saying? Is this really what you want to communicate to the church at Antioch? And Peter, for you, ultimately, to to the whole world, because everybody knew who Peter was. How about me? How about you? Well, we so fear people's opinion that we practically declare Jesus was all wrong about grace so that we can stroke somebody's ego who has a legalistic expectation of us Absolutely not, the text says. Rather, I'm the sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. Peter, Jesus didn't get it wrong. You have it all wrong. Hey, me and you get it all wrong. When we allow legalists to draw us in to their gospel hypocrisy. And we are the sinners for leaving the pure 
Where did my pure go? The pure, refreshing water of, the, of grace and going back to drinking the poison of works. And that's what Peter's actions said. He said to the church, by withdrawing from the Gentiles, here's the deal. I know I told you this was the life-giving stuff, but I'm changing my mind. I'm picking up the other bottle, and it's grace plus works, guys. We're the sinners. Peter, you're the sinner for leaving pure grace and going back to the poison of works. That's what happens if you don't apply the gospel in real-life situations when you're face-to-face with your own legalistic heart that's prone to gospel hypocrisy or when you're face-to-face with well-thought-of religious gospel hypocrites. Y'all all right? And we're not done yet. Are y'all all right? That's what happens when you don't apply the gospel. You become a legalist. And you drink the poison. Secondly, verses 19 and 20, how to apply the gospel. This is what we need. Don't miss this. Paul said, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. That verse looks at his conversion time. When he first came to know Jesus, that's what went on in his heart. Paul lived his whole life. He committed himself as a Pharisee. That was his occupation, was to be a law keeper. He said, in that moment, I I counted all things lost, Philippians 3. I counted all things lost, except for knowing Jesus. All my attempts to be right before God according to the law, I threw it out. I considered it... Dung means the same thing in English as it does in the Greek. It means dung. That's how he counted it. So that I might live for God and I embrace Jesus. Verse 20 is about his life as a believer. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus died on the cross... Paul says he died for me. He was crucified for my sins. It was as if I died, but it was Jesus dying for me. And when I trusted Jesus there on the Damascus Road, his death was applied to me. And in that moment, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' sin atoning death, Jesus' life-giving resurrection, they all became mine. And they were applied to me before the holy bar of God for all of eternity. So today, as I live life as a Jesus follower, I don't stand on my own merits with my own pitiful works and attempts at righteousness before holy God. No, Christ lives in me, and it is his righteousness. It is his merits. It is his full ransom payment. It's his resurrection power in which I stand before God today and every day. And here's how. The gospel must be applied practically and continuously. I live, verse 20, this is a summary of it. I live trusting Jesus for all of that. Moment by moment, day by day, no matter who I'm with, no matter what anyone says, I trust what he did. And what that means practically for Peter, when Jews come from Jerusalem who don't eat ham and say you can't eat ham and know Jesus, he says, boys, you can eat it or not. 
But Jesus says all things are clean. And the gospel says it's not what you put in your body, it's what comes out of your heart. And boys, you need to get, get your understanding of the gospel right, and you ought to sit down here with me and have some bacon for breakfast because number one, God created it, and it is good. And number two, you ought to experience the freedom of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not ham for you because you live in the South. You're Gentiles. I mean, you can't even have breakfast without pork. But what is it for you? Because it's something. You got a list. Or if it's not your own list that you use to judge yourself and other people, then, then you live based on somebody else's list. Maybe it's mama's list. Maybe it's grandma's list. Y'all all right? You got a list, right? This, now, this is, here, here we go. This is time for the quiz. This is yes and this is no. You got a list. And you think that the really spiritual people do these things, but see, when you start looking at your list, you realize it didn't come from the Bible. God didn't, God didn't make the list. Nobody gets to make the list because God gave His Son. Nobody's list matters. It's all of grace. And so the point of this message is the way you cure gospel hypocrisy is you take the gospel and you believe it afresh. You take it and you apply it. If I say this, will it imply that there's some other way to be saved than trusting in Jesus? If I say this, will it imply somehow that anything I can do or not do has something to do with my standing before holy God? If I act in this manner in a given situation, will it communicate that there's any way to be saved but through the grace of God, completely dependent on the work of Christ and Him alone? Will it communicate that in any way? Because here's the answer. If you say yes to that, if it does, it is gospel hypocrisy. It's legalism. And you will be playing the hypocrite like Peter did. You'll be putting on a mask. And you'll be saying to whoever this person is, I mean, and, and, and why am I preaching this to you guys who know the gospel? Because we're in church and we're religious. And this place is full of legalists. Now are you okay? I'm probably the chief in here, right? Don't you, aren't you a legalist in here? I mean, just, just get real. I can go there quickly. Why? Because we're all self-righteous and proud. We want to be able to pat ourselves on the back for something. We want to be able to compare to somebody else and, 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 and say we're better. It's, just, it's just, just what we are. And yet the place that we have to live with the gospel every day is, the foot is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. Period. You don't ever graduate from the gospel. You have to live it out practically. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what your list is, but you need to deal with your list, amen? And here's why the summary, verse 21, as we close. And Bobby, we're really going to close. Verse 21. Paul said, Peter, you can do what you want to. I've told you the truth. Here's my summary. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. You see, Peter, there's more at stake 
and you're eating ham with the Gentiles, then you realize the gospel is at stake. And if when certain people around you act a certain way because you want to be accepted by them, you know, you're treating the grace of God as meaningless. And in effect, what you're saying is, you know, I, Jesus, it's nice that you died and all, but I mean, I can really, I can really handle this. I mean, I can, I can be good enough on my own. And if that's the case, Peter, the Christ who you saw hang on that tree, he did it for nothing. Because the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus minus Everything. And Peter, what ought to happen in those situations is you ought to declare to whoever it is and be willing to offend them with it. This is the one truth, one pivotal thing that, that ought to offend the world around us. It's the gospel. What, what, is the scriptures, what do the scriptures call the stumbling block, the thing that offends the world? Paul said it's the scandal of the cross. That's what we ought to be known for. Let's, let's offend the world. Let's offend them by telling them there's one way to be saved. And so Paul, Paul is telling Peter in this verse, he's saying, Peter, so in this situation, what you should have done is eaten the ham and declared, Peter, our, our boys from Jerusalem, God's grace was not given in vain. It's not meaningless. Christ didn't die so we could just help him earn our salvation. No, Christ died because we had no hope. Without the grace of God, we have no way to be saved. Petey, you may choose to live like you don't need God's grace and allow fear of people cause you to toss out the cross of Christ, but not me, Paul says. I can do nothing to be made right with God. Jesus had to do it all, and he did. That's why Paul writes at the end of this book, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cure for gospel hypocrisy is continuously and practically trusting in Christ alone. Let's pray.